0: Uh, Like Chris said uh, when he introduced me, my name's Scott Morris, I've been uh, doing campus ministry at the University of Oklahoma for the last six years with Reform University Fellowship. Uh, This is my wife, Helen. Uh, actually being, well, we, we were here probably five years ago. Uh, I don't know if any of you, y'all were here would have been there, but it's been a while since we've been here, so I'm, I'm glad to be back. Uh, and in this space, being a, a, at church in a, in a basketball court it actually brings me a lot of nostalgia. Uh, at Helen and I's church in Birmingham, before we were dating, um, this, we went to a church, and we were a church plant. We met uh, in a basketball uh, uh, court. And uh, so I didn't go to the church because Helen was there, but it could have factored in that I was like, I might ask this girl out eventually. So, uh, but I did hear y'all laid your foundation for a building close by, so congratulations. That's really exciting. Um, and so I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm so thankful to do college ministry. Uh, your church supports the work of RUF at OU and Tulsa and uh, several other campuses, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, uh, and maybe, maybe others. Um, and thank you for those you who, who support us individually as well. We definitely cannot reach students for Jesus uh, and do all the things we do, equip them, disciple them without your prayers and, and without your giving. So thank you so much. And today, we are going to be uh, in Matthew 3 and 4. So I'm going to read this text for us. You'll read along with me. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus said to him, uh, and Satan said to Jesus, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you uh, this morning. For the, the, the beautiful uh, invitation to be here and worship you and song and now to hear from you in your word, would you please meet with us today, Lord? Would you send your spirit to give us comfort and hope and healing? And we pray all this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. This passage is so interesting to me. Uh, it's so interesting, actually, that it's, it's uh, recorded in all the Gospels, uh, or at least the, the, uh, the synoptic ones. But it's so interesting because of the striking con- contrast uh, between the uh, end of chapter 3, which was the this first few verses, and then the beginning of chapter 4. So at the beginning of the text, in, in uh, verses 16 and 17, everything is looking great for Jesus. He, uh, he's, got, he's baptized. He has the Holy Spirit descend on him publicly in the form of a dove. I mean, this is like a, like a summer camp mountaintop experience for Jesus that he's having right there. And God speaks to him publicly where they can hear and says, this is my son that I love. Everything's great, right? And then immediately he goes out the middle of nowhere And he fasts, and he's hungry, and he's tempted by the devil. It's a downer. This is a downer. This is a a low way for Jesus to to start his ministry. And if you look at this, look at this encounter uh, of Jesus with the devil through the lens of Jesus understanding his identity, of Jesus understanding who he was, you have to imagine it would be jarring for him. Wait a minute, I thought God loved me. Why am I out here in the middle of nowhere? Why has he abandoned me? Why are these things happening to me? God let Satan test him. Does anybody here feel like you've been tested? Maybe you're being tested right now. Or you've been tested in the last few years. It's made you question whether or not God is there. Could be family and children at home or your parents at home and feeling uh, discouraged. It could be just the the pandemic and all the ways it's affected our society and our culture. Could be just the the, the stress or the anger or wherever that sends you uh, of all the polarized conversations about everything, politics, race, justice, everything. And the church has been arguing about it too. There's lots of ways you could be feeling down or feeling tested, and it really can make us wonder, what is my place in all of this? What is my place? So the question I want us to keep in mind as we dive into this text is, do I matter? Do I matter, what's going on? Where is God, do I matter? Do I really matter? What is my purpose in the world? Does God have me here for a reason? Why am I out here in the wilderness? Do I have any reason to value myself? Do I matter? Uh, I remember um, when I was six and uh, my sister was four, we took the Great Pilgrimage down to Disney World like so many other families do. And uh, I remember being in the Magic Kingdom, uh, trying to hide from all the characters, because I was terrified of them, even as my sister was going to get all their autographs. And my dad uh, said to me, he said, Scott, we're going to go on this roller coaster called uh, S- Space Mountain, you going to go with me. And Space Mountain, if you've even been there, it's this terrifying old roller coaster in the dark, where there's just people screaming, and, and, and it's, just, it's, it's crazy for a six-year-old. I remember thinking, as I'm standing in line, and I'm listening to the screams of the the people who are probably going to their deaths. I'm not really sure. I remember thinking, "Okay, well, my dad, my dad wants me to go on this with him, so I, I guess this is it. I've had a good run, um, but I, I got to do this because my dad said he's going to do it with me. I got, I got to prove myself. Uh, I can't say no." And I just remember, and you're single file on this thing. My my dad puts me in the front and he's behind me and I just have my eyes closed the whole time uh, screaming and listening to everyone screaming. My dad is just laughing his head off the whole time. So uh, probably, that's probably one of his better parenting moments. Actually, it is one of my favorite dad moments. But, and it does a small way, and some of you have bigger ways, where your past experiences uh, can scar you and actually, it can even make you react to life in the present uh, like you have to prove yourself. Like if someone still dared me to go on a roller coaster, I feel like I would like, need to do it, even if I was terrified, even if as I get older, it's starting to make me more nauseous. Anybody here feel like you have to prove yourself? Uh, in the movie, in Christopher Nolan's movie, Batman Begins, that came out a long time ago now, uh, it opens with Bruce Wayne and his friend Rachel's children, and they're playing in the backyard until Bruce falls into this deep well. He falls down and he's alone and he's scared. And As he looks shivering into the darkness, this huge swarm of bats flies out of a cave and all around him, and he's just terrified and he's screaming because he's, it's dark and he's scared and he doesn't know what's happening. And this childhood experience affects Bruce so much, it leads him to growing up with this phobia of bats. So much so that his family goes to this opera, and on stage there's people dressed like bats doing one of the numbers, and, and he's so scared that his parents have to, have to get up with him and leave. Uh, and of course this is when uh, his parents are actually mugged and killed in front of Bruce. And it leads Bruce to growing up uh, with this something that had started so small for Bruce, this childhood fear, has now become something that's defined his whole life. Bruce's fear of this this bat has become something so deeply shameful to him so much so that it becomes his identity Uh, It traps him and makes him feel scared and angry and guilty and because of all this guilt that he feels He decides to go train to fight injustice. So he doesn't have to be defined by his phobia Bruce didn't believe he had what it took to to handle life or to face up to what had happened to him and We do too Bruce tried to give his life significance by overcoming his sense of inadequacy. You try to create something out of your life to give your sense uh, your life a sense of significance to overcome your inadequacy. We do this. We all walk around carrying wounds and scars and childhood experiences and fears. Space mountain rides are things more uh, serious than that. We all carry these things around and we're all trying to rewrite our own narratives terrified of being found out for what we really are. Like Bruce, we believe we have to craft our own significance in the world. Do we matter? I don't know, but I better make myself matter. This is exactly what Satan is trying to touch on in Jesus and what he hits on us when he confronts Jesus in the wilderness. And though Jesus is without sin, it's so and so, so important to know that Jesus is fully God and he's fully human here in this moment. This was not easy for Jesus. It be easy to think, like, oh, he's God, well, you know, of course he's going like, to pass the test. Jesus was fully human. He's tempted in every way that we are. And so Satan sneaks in when Jesus is weak after he's been fasting. He's physically weak. He's got to be emotionally weak. And he tries to undermine what the Father has just told Jesus about his significance. Satan's trying to undercut everything God just told Jesus. And notice that he does this all while Jesus is alone. And it's so sad because when we look at ourselves, God created us to relate. To relate to him, to relate to one another, to relate to the world around us. But our shame has undercut all of this. And shame, of course, is the devil's first and the greatest weapon. It's the one he used against Adam and Eve in the garden. I am unacceptable. I'm unacceptable and therefore I must hide. And that's the first thing Adam and Eve do when they eat of the fruit. And sometimes we can say all the right things about Jesus. Uh, or we can know all the things that are true. But the way we live out our lives betrays whether or not we really trust in God, right? Whether or not my significance really comes from God. And so we live our lives on this treadmill of trying to prove ourselves, trying to, trying to uh, stay ahead of that shame and make sure that we matter. Do we really trust? Or are we just trying to prove something? And it's interesting here that the, the, the text uses the word devil, in Greek the word is diabolos, which can also mean accuser. And think about it in this way, it's as if, as if Satan is taking, uh, taking us to court, he's taking Jesus to court and he's taking us to court and he's asking these questions about our standing before God and he's accusing us. He's saying, you're not good enough, And you don't deserve the love of the Father. Satan is accusing us. And he, he hits Jesus with these three temptations or accusations. And I would say these are actually the fundamental temptations that we all face in some shape or form. Uh, Henry Nowen was a, was a great uh, spiritual writer, wrote lots of things. Uh, but I'm going to borrow the way he, he categorizes and names these temptations. And these are the notes uh, in your bulletin. Uh, these are the lies that Satan confronts us with and confronts Jesus with. I am what I do. I am what others think about me. And I am what I have. So first, I am what I do. Look at verse 3. Satan comes and he says if you're the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread as if he's saying if you're the son of God I mean would the son of God starve? Kind of seems like not a great start to you know being the son of God and being the savior of the world like how could you starve? He's humiliating him. One writer phrases this temptation this way if you're God's child prove it do something show me your power demonstrate who you are what do you think? Do we struggle with proving our worth by what we do in our world? And this can look a lot of different, a lot of different ways. Uh, one obvious one could be, I am what I do, therefore I must be perfect. I must live my life rigidly, my performance must be perfect in every a- uh, area of life. And sadly, I see this you know, so much on the college campus, with people running themselves ragged to be perfect, uh, because we feel like I am what I do. Could also look like, I am what I do, therefore nobody better stop me from doing. I better be free and nobody better uh, constrain me. It could look like just resisting control from anyone and everyone because your significance is the freedom to do whatever you wanna do and what you're passionate about. I am what I do. A less obvious one could be, I am what I do, but I don't feel like anything I do matters, so I don't matter. And this is, this is such a crushing one because this just sucks the life out of us. I mean, this could be someone who's really easy to get along with, but reluctant to make any decisions or to speak up, because it doesn't matter anyway. I'm not significant. Wherever wherever that hits you, notice how Jesus responds to this temptation. Rather than proving his worth, he could have created bread. He does that in other places in the Gospels. He doesn't create bread, but he responds with Scripture, It's like he's saying, why do I need to prove myself to you? Who are you? Your words are not the only words. And So he quotes his father's words. And specifically, everything Jesus quotes here is from the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, that's when the people were also in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness, the people of Israel were in the wilderness. And you could say that here Jesus is going out and he's actually reliving Israel's experience in the wilderness. It's as if if you've ever like, even dabbled in the Old Testament, you know Israel was not very good at being God's people. Like, I, they had all these commandments. They saw God do all these things. They didn't do a very good job of it. Jesus is going out and he's succeeding where Israel failed. And so he, he quotes Moses from Deuteronomy. And notice how he responds. In verse 4, he says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You hear it? I am more than what I do. Actually, I'm even more than what I eat. I don't need to eat to be strong. I don't need to prove anything to you to be strong. And as God provided manna for Israel in the desert, Jesus is saying, I know that God will take care of me. And I don't need to prove anything because God places more significance on my life than I ever could get by doing. He places more significance on your life than you could ever get by doing. And he also places more significance than you could ever get from your reputation, which brings us to this, to this second lie. I am what others say about me. We have verses 5 and 6. It says, The devil took Jesus up to the holy city, Jerusalem, and he set him on the, the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to them, If you're the son of God, just throw yourself down. For it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they'll bear you up. So you, you see here, he's stepping it up a notch. And even here, notice that he's quoting scripture back to Jesus, which again, this is kind of an aside. This is a, it's very easy to use verses out of context. So just because you hear someone use the Bible or you say the Bible, it doesn't mean you're actually speaking the truth. Uh, Satan knows it too, and he does it to Jesus. And look at the core of the lie here. It's as if Satan's saying, does God really love you? Like maybe you are the son of God, but does he really love you? I mean, if he did, would he let you come all the way out here in the wilderness? He wants Jesus to feel sorry for himself. As someone well-skilled in feeling sorry for myself, I'm acquainted with this, this temptation. It's easy to do that. Why does my one-year-old daughter hate me? Why does, why does she, why does she uh, cry? Not, what if I want to cry? I mean, there's, there's so many ways we can feel sorry for ourselves and wonder if God really sees us. If God thinks I'm significant, wouldn't he prove it by saving me? Wouldn't he prove it by saving me? This could look for you in all sorts of ways. It could be, I am what people think of me, so I need to serve, 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 serve them so they'll value me. I am what people think of me, so they have to love me. Another one, it could be, I am what people think about me, so I have to impress them, to work really hard, go to work, be the, the top performer, uh, have it together, uh, never, never show weakness, so I can gain their approval. A less obvious one could be, Uh, If others care about me, they'll prove it. They'll prove it. And you find all sorts of ways uh, to, when life, when the people around you are letting letting you down, you just sort of shift the blame onto your friends or your family or your spouse, and you can just say, uh, well, they don't love me. They're not proving it, so I'm not significant. I guess I don't matter because the people in my life aren't showing it to me. But Jesus doesn't say any of these things. What does Jesus say? Verse seven, Jesus said to them, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's it. That's all he says. He's saying, I know what the Lord has said. I don't need to test him because he said everything he ever needs to to me. I've heard everything I need from God. God places more significance on my life than I could ever get from any other person. What is it to me if I have the approval from anyone else when I have God's approval? And so it's The same is true for you, that God places more significance on your life than you could ever get by performing. And finally, God places more significance on you than you could ever get from possessions. And that brings us to this third lie from Satan. I am what I have. Verse 8, the devil takes him to a very high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he says to him, I will give all these to you. As if, like, did he have permission to do that? But he says it. I will give all these kingdoms to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Now Satan stopped even pretending that he's trying to help Jesus. He says, I'll give you everything. I will make you significant if you only worship me. And think about this temptation. The core accusation really is, is you don't have what it takes to do life without my help. You ever feel that voice in your head? I don't have what it takes. I need some extra help. I need something. Satan's saying, if you were the son of God, wouldn't you have all these riches? Wouldn't it be obvious? And since obviously you're not, let me help you out. And remember, Jesus knows. He knows what he's about to do. He's about to go suffer and die on the cross. And Satan is saying, why go through all of this? Why suffer? Why go to the cross? This is a shortcut to what you want, right? You can be glorious now. Why do God? God doesn't love you. He's making you do all this sacrifice. What about us? How do we buy into this lie that, that I am what I have? It could be, uh, I am what I have, so I just need more, more, more. More possessions, more things, more freedom, more experiences is never enough, right? And you just fill this hole in you that you just cannot fill no matter what you have. It could be just more information, more data. Like if I just know a little bit more, if I just hold on to what I have and I don't give too much of myself away, then I'll be significant, then I'll have enough. I need to be stingy with what I have. It could be I am what I have, so I gotta protect it. I need security, I need stability. I just kind of surround myself with people I can trust in my community and I just sort of turn inward and sort of hide from the world, right? And this can be easy for us to do in church, by the way. It's just that I am what I have and so we're gonna huddle up and I, this is where I feel safe. But look what Jesus does. Jesus says, be gone Satan. I'm, I'm done with this. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only sh- shall you serve. And the devil leaves him. I don't have to prove anything to you, Satan. God places more life, more value in my life than I could could ever get by having more and more. How was Jesus so firmly convinced of his significance in the Father's eyes? Like, how did he do this? This is where it's so important for us to notice how Jesus just left the Father speaking truth over him before he goes out into the wilderness. Jesus has those words of God over him. He's got them in his head. It is the core of his identity. Remember what God said in verse 17 uh, at the end of chapter three. He says, you are my son. You don't have to do anything to prove you're mine. You are more than what you do, more than your actions. I love you because you're my son. He calls him my beloved. I love you because I love you. Right? Even, even us as imperfect parents, we know what this is like to, to have kids and to be like, I don't know why I love you, I just love you. I love you because I love you. How much more does the Father say that to Jesus and say that to, to you and me who are in Jesus? You don't have to perform for me, God's saying. You are more than what others say of you. You're more than your reputation. And God said to Jesus, in you I am well pleased. My favor rests upon you your entire life. What more could you possibly need? You are more than what you have. You are more than your possessions. Because you are my son. You are my daughter. I'm well pleased with you. The Father cares that much about you, too. He places more significance on your life than you could ever get by doing or by performing or by getting. He loves you so much that He gives you Jesus. And Jesus goes all this so we'll we'll ever have to go through and more. And and, and isn't this amazing? If if anybody uh, had it all, had everything, it was Jesus. Everything belonged to him and he gave it all up and walked on the earth, in our skin, in our shoes, so that whatever we're going through, it will never be what Jesus had to go through. And he goes to the cross because he loves you so much that when, when he is abandoned by the Father, we never will have to be. When we go out into the wilderness, God is with us because Jesus has paid the price for our sins and so he is there with us. And don't we desperately need to hear this? Doesn't the world around us desperately need to hear this? In a world where we feel like everything, uh, everything about our significance and our value we have to create. And, you know, I could lose a job in a heartbeat if I'm not valuable enough to them. Uh, I could lose a friend in a heartbeat if I don't uh, love them and do enough for them. Isn't it amazing to rest in a relationship with a God who we cannot earn anything with? He'll never let us go. Can you imagine how that would affect you? As you sit secure in that relationship with the Father, you can go out, instead of needing things from your life and from other people, you can actually give. You can be a fountain of love. You can be a stream in the desert. This is what God envisions for his people. This is what he wanted for Israel. This is what he intends and does through the church and through Jesus. Jesus, Jesus gave it all. After Bruce, when he experiences the loss of his parents and he decides to fight back, he goes into the mountains and he trains with this this mysterious teacher, Razal al and, and this teacher he tells him, Bruce what you really feel fear is inward, it's internal, so you must journey within yourself and Bruce, as he's training, he, he fights these, these hallucinations of bats, and it's really scary. And, and what he realizes, though, after he's kind of cowering down, is that he can stand up straight. And those things that seem so terrifying to him that he had to hide from were actually just shadows. And he just steps towards one, and it disappears. And he realizes he won't be overwhelmed. He can stand up straight and fight. His teacher shows him that to truly overcome his fear, he has to face it. He has to go into the wilderness to find out who he really is. So again, because Jesus went into that wilderness, it transforms that wilderness for you. Why does God test you? So you can know that he loves you. When you go into these places of life that you're so scared of, I mean, who likes to suffer? Nobody. We never want to suffer. We shouldn't seek out suffering. But when it finds us, Take the opportunity of being in the wilderness to realize this is where God proves his love to you. This is where you get to experience it and know it. Because when, you, when, you, when your identity is resting in Jesus, Jesus, you can release all these devil's lies that you've so deeply internalized. Because we have everything we need in Jesus. The love of God completely transforms the way we relate to ourselves. Instead of accumulating more and more, we begin to find out how much we have in Jesus. All the spiritual riches, Paul says in Ephesians. Instead of doing more and more, we can rest in what Jesus has done for us. Instead of performing for others, we can enjoy the Father's love for us. We can actually enjoy life. We don't have to earn anything. It's all given to us. And so fighting back, fighting back against the devil's lies could look all sorts of ways. It it, it is absolutely bare minimum, at least gathering here together so we can encourage one another and remember we're not in it alone. We're here together. We're on a journey. We will see our Father's face one day. We gather together. We worship. uh, Spending time in the Father's word and praying and remembering that God loves you. Learning to recognize the voice of Satan. This is, I think, what the Bible means by discernment, is when you hear that voice that says, "You're not good enough. You're not good enough." Remember, there is a real accuser out there, and he wants you to doubt that God loves you. So, learning to recognize that voice and to to, to reject it the way Jesus does—that can be fighting back. Are you letting the evil one isolate you or keep you from community, or do you have a friend, uh, or a loved one, or a neighbor who you can see becoming isolated? And perhaps this is the way you could step in and help them fight back uh, because they could use an ally in this war to remember that their significance rests in Jesus. Because the Father places more significance on your life than you could ever get by doing or performing or getting. Jesus, he, he gets all of that significance we could ever ask, and he gives it to us. He buys it to, binds it to himself on the cross. He takes all of our neediness and our sin and our inadequacy, and he gives us a new life. Jesus is the significance God places upon us, and that's a good thing. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.